Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The volume. The NBA season is in full swing, and when I can't get enough of the action on the court, I spice things up by betting on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official partner of the NBA. Right now, new customers can bet 5 bucks and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. I was looking at the lines for making the playoffs today, and you can get the Lakers at plus 115 to make the playoffs, and the Warriors, check this out, at plus 205 to make the playoffs. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app with code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. New customers can bet 5 bucks on the NBA and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778 877-8- Hope and Why or text Hope and Why to 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash basketball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gambling resources. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Friday, everybody. Hope all of you guys are having an incredible week. Well, as has generally been the case since LeBron James joined the Los Angeles Lakers, we're two weeks out from the NBA trade deadline, and it feels like there's going to be a whole lot of turnover with the Lakers, or maybe none. Who knows? We'll see. But there's drama, as there always is for the Lakers around this time of year. And I can think of nobody better than our friend Jovan Buha to come on the show, covers the Lakers for the uh, for the Athletic, and he's going to help us get to the bottom of some of the mysteries surrounding this team heading into the deadline. Jovan, thanks for coming on the show. I I want to before we get to the to the trade deadline, 
I saw a mention that uh, from you on Twitter earlier today from, I, th- I believe you were on a, a different podcast about Darvin Ham. And we just recently had a situation where the Milwaukee Bucks had a clear understanding internally that their coach was not the right coach for this particular team. And they did something that is really difficult, but I think was the right decision. And they made it a, a, a coaching change in the middle of the season. And you, I had heard say that that was most likely not going to be the case for this Lakers team. who's had some issues with Darvin Ham. I, I think he's got a lot more support within the front office and the ownership group. That said, it was a similar type of situation where it seems like there's a consensus around the league that Darvin has not done a good job with the Lakers this year. What are you hearing about the leash Darvin Ham uh, has for the rest of the season? And do you think he will still be the coach by the time we get to the playoffs? I do. Um, you know, I, I think that he does have the support of Jeannie Buss and Rob Palinka. And, you know, that ultimately those are the two head decision makers w- with the organization. And, um, you know, I, I think some of the stuff within the locker room has improved over the last few weeks since our last discussion. Uh, the Lakers did have three significant wins. I, I think that Clippers win uh, was sneakily important for his job security uh but you know beating the clippers beating the mavericks beating the thunder um they, they had some statement wins uh, over the last few weeks now they've also had some statement <laughs> losses uh with with the, with the brooklyn loss and and losing you know, i mean the, the whole thing that kind of spurned uh you know some of the the, the pushback against darvin was, was that miami loss but they also had the memphis loss and they got blown out by phoenix and um yeah i, I don't really hold the utah and, and clippers losses against them no lebron in, in either situation but uh you know for, from my understanding it would things would have to go off the rails uh, again uh but but for a, a more sustained period of you know let's say a, a six seven eight game losing streak uh where it, it's just clear that the disconnect is palpable. Um, you know, players are, are are just checked out, and and you know, I, I don't think it's gotten to that point. Like, th- there have been comments in the media. I think if you look at the post game availabilities, there's 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 some jabs here and there, and th- there's been a lot of praising of opposing coaches. Uh, no play. I mean, since Shams and I re- reported what we we did, uh, no player has really come out and defended Darvin Ham, which I think has kind of been telling uh, that there's not been any comment uh, along the lines of he's our head coach. You know, we have his back. We we have confidence in him. Like it, it's really been Darvin defending himself publicly, and then also kind of saying, "Well, I have the the backing of of Rob and Jeannie," and and ultimately that's what matters. But I think with, with the way that this season has trended. They're below 500. Uh, they're currently in that 9-10 mix. And if they end up missing the play-in or, or missing the playoffs or losing in round one, that's where you start to... Ha- I think this conversation becomes relevant again and the Lakers likely reevaluate things over the summer. Uh, but until that point, I think unless things just go... Hey, and they were getting there, right? Like they were on a four-game losing streak. They, they had the games coming up against the Clippers, against the Mavericks, against the Thunder. It was like... Uh, they had the Suns game in there as well. It was like... If they go on, you know, lose seven of nine or something like that, like it might just be the, the the time to move on about a month ahead of the trade deadline. But they sort of righted the ship uh, again. They've had some bad losses since then. But um, my understanding is he does have the confidence uh, of of the front office and and ownership. They did view him as a coach that 
would come in with championship experience, a lot of experience under Bud, but also kind of grow into his coaching style. So th- they are giving him a leash in that regard of they still think he's not a finished product. He can improve as a coach, uh, but it, it's, a, it's a delicate dance when you have a win now situation and you don't have, I, I think, complete buy-in from the locker room where it's like, you know, I think you saw it in Milwaukee where uh, there was several situations of Giannis checking himself into a game and Bobby Portis calling out the team after the in-season tournament that those things, you know, ultimately built up to a point of, uh, I mean, I don't know if you saw the video of the Bucks dancing before the game. That's that looked like a pretty happy team. Um, so I, I don't know if the Lakers would, would quite respond in that re- you know, way if they uh, moved on from Darwin. But I do think there, there's still some issues in there but with the rotation and, and some of the lineup stuff. But um, I think w- winning cures all and, and they have won some games that they needed to win. But uh, clearly, I mean, they're five and six in, in 2024. So it's not like they're out of the woods here. Like they are still struggling a bit. Uh, so I think, but from for my understanding, he's most likely safe through the rest of the season, barring things just going haywire. Yeah, I have this theory, and this is not based on any sort of reporting, not anything you've told me, not even anything I've I've talked to other people about behind the scenes. My theory is that they were done with him. And then what happened was, is it became abundantly clear that he wasn't going anywhere. And then everyone was like, all right, fine. Like, we got to try to make this work one way or another, you know? And specifically when it comes to the Lakers, like, the only real, like, I think LeBron and AD in and of themselves are tacticians. And especially when it comes to the defensive end of the ball and game planning for specific teams, I think there's a lot of that that LeBron and AD can kind of take the load of, especially over the course of a playoff series. I think we've seen enough of that over the years to show that those two are constantly thinking the game and, and going through that side of things. Also... You know, this this offense has masqueraded as a cool five out, make the extra pass, drive and kick offense for brief stretches over the course of the last you know couple of weeks. But I still think deep down, like in their basketball character, this is a stuck in the mud type of brute force offense. I think that's the way LeBron wants to play. I think that's the way he wants to play. I think I think that's their kind of like natural basketball identity, and so. In a lot of ways, I don't even think a brilliant offensive tactician could come in here and and like turn this offense around. I, I think it's a lot. A lot of it has to do with the personnel, and I think you see a lot of games like the Nets game where they, you know, in that first quarter, the ball's just flying around and everyone's making the extra pass and everyone's driving and kicking, and there's this real fluidity. And they just can't sustain that. They can only do that for short bursts before they kind of resort revert, revert back to what their normal basketball character is. When they originally hired Darvin Ham. I liked it from the standpoint of being a motivational move. Like if you remember Frank Vogel, Frank Vogel, the one thing he is great at, you know, really is that defensive tactician piece. But I, you could just tell towards the end of that 2022 season that everyone in the locker room was kind of done playing hard for him. And I think that we saw guys like Ime Udoka come in and we saw guys like Ty Lu come in and we saw like even Chauncey Billups are seeing a little bit of it with the with the Blazers this year. But these young former player coaches, relatively young, I should say, former player coaches that can look eye to eye with these dudes and be like, I need you to do this and them actually do it is the the driving force behind why the Lakers went with Darvin Hand. Because in theory, kind of like with the Adrian Griffin thing, you're like, okay, why would you hire a rookie head coach for this job that is very much a win-now job where experience does matter and it's more about personality management and all these different things? And I literally think they went with Darvin Ham because they viewed him as a motivator. 
And the problem is, is here we are a year and a half later, and he can't motivate these guys. They're the worst effort and energy team in the league. And so it reaches a point where you're not getting any of the good that comes with Darvin Ham. And some of those bad pieces are starting to kind of float to the surface. And it, it is what it is. I think the I think the players in that locker room have just realized that they're that he's not going anywhere. And I think that's why you're still seeing some of that inconsistent effort. And I think we're really the only hope for this team to kind of re-engage is some personnel turnover. And that personnel turnover being what essentially causes the team to feel like it's the first day of school again. And then maybe they can go on a stretch. And I've said this before, I don't think there's any chance the Lakers could win the title unless they have a 20, 25 game stretch where they look like a you know 60 win, a 60 win team basically over that stretch. They need to have that kind of stretch. And so that brings us to the trade deadline because if there's not going to be any sort of turnover in the coaching staff, it has to be on the roster. And so here we are, I believe if I'm not mistaken, the trade deadline is two weeks away. And... And there's been a ton of rumors uh, surrounding the Lakers. A lot of the classic, uh, the jockeying in the media for like, oh, well, we're actually looking to wait to this summer so we can go after Donovan Mitchell and Trey Young. And it's like, oh, well, they actually really want Bruce Brown. And, you know, there's all this like jockeying going on. So can you give us a summary of where the Lakers are from the standpoint of their front office and their strategy heading into this deadline? Yeah. So the Lakers are currently weighing three different paths. Uh, from my understanding, uh, one would be kind of call it, I don't want to say punting on the season, but sort of acknowledging like there might not be a move out there that is going to turn this around. We, we're going to have to figure this out with the 14 guys in the locker room with the coaching staff. And we've played better as of late. We, we've won five of our last eight. And, you know, let's stick with this more offensive minded starting lineup we're bringing in these kind of um you know athletic long uh you know bigger players off the bench and and sort of you know changing up the pitches in the second quarter third quarter uh and and let's just retain our assets uh let's keep our young players let's you know keep our one tradable first round pick and then come draft night we can now move three guys and be it the, the Trey Young and, and Donovan Mitchell names or just retaining that for uh, maybe the, the 2025 trade deadline. Uh, like th- they would have some flexibility there. Uh, so that's path number one. Path number two is basically um, uh, emptying the cupboard uh, and saying, okay, we're going to give up, uh, you know, D'Lo or, or Rui. Uh, we're willing to throw in JHS or, or Max, some of our young talent. We're willing to trade the first round pick. We're willing to add in a second round pick, a pick swap, like whatever it takes to get a deal done. Um, and I think that would be a player like DeJounte Murray. Um, I, I think it would be a player, uh, you know, Zach Levine previously, but like that that type of salary or, or that type of, you know, fringe all-star, um, you know, looking at can we upgrade the D'Lo spot essentially with, with a better uh, a better third score, just a, a better third option on, on this team. Uh, and then path number three is a small to mid-sized move where maybe you're still moving D'Lo, maybe you're still moving Rui, or, or you can get off Gabe, uh, but you are basically drawing the line of like, we're not giving up the first round pick uh, and, and maybe we'll throw in a younger guy or we'll throw in a second round pick or two, but we're, we're mainly trying to swap salaries, uh, swap a spot in the rotation, uh, maybe add a bench guy, but we're not doing anything drastic here. Uh, so I think 
right now, path two and, and path three are the more likely ones. I, I don't see them standing pat and, and doing nothing. Uh, you have a win now situation with LeBron and AD. Uh, I don't think that would sit well with LeBron, given how we know he's always looking to improve his teams. And um, he has been critical of this roster at, at various points of the season, uh, talking about the shooting or talking about the lack of size or, or the defense and whatnot. So I, I think if you, if you gave LeBron truth serum, he, he'd want to do something at the deadline. And I, I suspect that the Lakers are going to do something at the deadline. Historically, this front office has been aggressive. Uh, it's just a matter of, are they doing something big? And, and do they feel like they can give up that first round pick, give up a, a pick swap, a second round pick, whatever, and actually improve the roster substantially, or are they drawing a line in the sand and saying, "Hey, like we're, we're looking for a more marginal improvement, but maybe swapping a player or two will get us in the right direction, clean up the rotation, you know, maybe plug a backup point guard spot, add another wing, whatever." Um, so those are, I, I think, more of the two paths that they're deciding between right now. Um, and I, I think if, if they had their way, it would be Dejounte Murray. For, from my understanding, he is their top priority right now. But barring them getting Murray, I think it's trending more toward a, a smaller move. Um, and, and some of the names out there, uh, you know, Bruce Brown's, I think, more of a medium sized move. Uh, but but Bruce Brown, Dorian Finney Smith, Tyus Jones, Malcolm Brogdon, like th those are some of the names I've reported on and, and other, others have as well. So I think right now it's kind of empty the cupboard for DeJounte or do a, a smaller move for a, a role player who can maybe come in and, and be the fit starter or be a key bench. Yeah, that guy. makes sense to me because I uh just to be quite frank, I think I, I don't think LeBron's circling year 22 as his as his uh, opportunity to win the title, right? And like I just think if you punt on this season, I think that's essentially the end of the LeBron AD era. I think at that point you're 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 probably going to be looking to move on unless you can bring in some bona fide superstar next year. And again, like if a superstar becomes available, there's just a lot of teams that have more to offer than what the Lakers have to offer. So like, to me, that just doesn't really seem tenable, but there's a lot of interesting names have been thrown around and I want to kind of dive into the basketball of each guy, but also take uh, a, a kind of at least a, a snapshot of the realistic nature of some of these names at this point in time. So we're going to play a game. I've got seven names, uh, excuse me, six names. No, it is seven. We're good. Counting a little struggling to count. Get, just getting back from vacation. It's taken me a minute to get up to speed. So I got seven names for you. And three of them are non-Lakers right now. Four of them are Lakers right now. And I'm going to ask you what the percentage chance you think is that they are that they are Lakers two weeks from now after the deadline. That first name. What is the percentage chance that DeJounte Murray is a Laker in two weeks? What is the percentage chance? I would say 45%. Um, so right under that 50% mark. I, I think naturally you have to be a bit more conservative when projecting trades. This was a deal that I reported on was very close uh, two, uh, two weeks ago. Uh, and the framework of that deal was uh, D'Angelo Russell, Jalen hood uh, a fir the 2029 first round pick and additional draft capital, be it they're still trying to figure out, is that going to be a pick swap? Is that going to be a second round pick? Um, but that would be that that was the framework of that deal. And uh, part of the pushback on Atlanta's end was they want Austin Reeves uh, if they're going to do a one for one deal, which the Lakers obviously aren't interested in doing. Uh, and then they're the, kind of the, the second wave of pushback was, OK, well, we don't want D'Lo. So you have to find a third team to facilitate this. So the Lakers over the last couple of weeks, have been canvassing the league, trying to find a potential third team 
most likely a lottery team that would be looking to take on Delo's salary. Lakers give up, uh, you know, a second round pick or maybe a couple uh, to, to kind of appease them, uh, maybe get back another player uh, and, you know, add a couple pieces, uh, potentially, you know, expanding the deal. Uh, but, you know, that, that was, so that's been happening. You know, th- those talks got really close a couple weeks ago. Since then, they've stalled, but the Lakers have been canvassing the league. Um, so from my understanding, DeJounte is their top priority. Uh, that is the guy that they've targeted as uh, someone who could be a better fit next to Austin Reeves in the backcourt. Um, you know, he has regressed defensively since his San Antonio days, but they still, I mean, he's still a better defender than D'Angelo Russell. Like, yes, you take a little bit, uh, I mean, you take a solid hit in, in the shooting and, and playmaking department, but he does have that downhill verve and athleticism and speed that the team has been lacking since losing uh, Dennis Schroeder last year. So I think looking at Murray, I mean, he's got four more years. Uh, his extension kicks in next season. Uh, he, he does have a $13 million trade kicker, which could be spread out o- over the next four years. So his salary is a little bit higher than it appears on paper. Uh, but I, I think it's someone who, you know, late 20s, he can grow with the AD Austin core. I think he does complement Austin pretty well. And the Lakers have identified more so the the perimeter speed and athleticism at the guard spot as the the need that they want to improve upon. Uh, I think you and I are in agreement. It's probably more of a 3 and D wing is probably the bigger need, but uh, those guys are hard to come by. Uh, if you do swap D'Lo out for a 3 and D wing, you are potentially creating a different hole at the point guard spot. You're not replacing that playmaking and, and um, you know, that, that level of just, you know, ball handling and, and command that he's had over the offense recently. So I think they view it as we are trading some strengths for you know, different strengths, but it is just a more natural fit uh, with, with DeJounte and Austin. And then on top of that, you have this guy now for four years, whereas D'Lo has a player option. And that kind of puts you in an interesting predicament, depending on how the rest of his season goes. So um, I would say DeJounte wouldn't put it above 50% just because with, with these situations, like once you have talks get to the 11th, you know, the, the one yard line, five yard line, whatever, and they fall through, there's always the risk that they don't get back to that point again. Uh, but you know, again, from everything I've heard, Lakers are prioritizing DeJounte. And therefore, I would say about 45% feels right to me. Yeah, I, to be clear, I like the DeJounte Murray move in the sense that it obviously makes the Lakers better. I mean, we don't have to, we don't have to galaxy brain this. Like to me, the D'Angelo Russell has a ton of playmaking value in the regular season. But I do think that there's a pretty extensive history that shows that when the athleticism and physicality goes up a level, D'Angelo Russell's impact as a primary on-ball guy goes down a level. Once you turn into a guy who's working off the ball a lot, you're, there, there's a diminishing return compared to like a, a like a really skilled offensive player versus a kind of skilled offensive player. There's a diminishing return versus an on-ball role, right? Like even even when it comes to the Austin Delo debate, like there's no doubt that like Austin's not capable of having a 27 and 7 stretch over a, a over a six game stretch like this where he's just picking teams apart as this primary offensive initiator. And Delo's been awesome over that stretch. Um that said like when we get to the postseason, it is going to be more LeBron and AD. It is going to be more posting up and more in the mud, kind of like bully ball type of basketball. And in that off-ball role, even though D'Lo provides a ton of value there, he's been one of the better spot-up players in the league this year, his value, it, there is a diminishing return there. DeJounte Murray 
absolutely can play alongside Austin Reeves to close playoff games. I have no worries about that whatsoever. uh, DeJounte Murray is a better defensive player than people remember him being uh, from his time with the Hawks. And, you know, even last night in in the Warriors game, like in that first half in particular, did a really good job on Steph and was a big part of getting him off to a rough shooting start. He's got quickness. He's got length in particular is a big one for him that helps a lot. And it's more just about whether or not he can kind of recapture that effort and energy. But the, the big thing for me is DeJounte can just beat people off the dribble. Like, he just can't. There was a play in the first half of the Warriors game last night where he's coming up the right side, and he's got Andrew Wiggins on him in a straight ISO, and he just hits him with a right-to-left crossover and toasts him off the dribble and draws a foul at the basket. It's like, there's nobody on the Lakers that can do that this year. Not There's literally not a single guy on the roster. Like, even LeBron, it's way more bully ball. Even with Anthony Davis, it's way more bully ball. Austin and D'Lo need screens. Like, there's a huge value that comes there. DeJounte Murray is having a much better shooting season than he has in the rest of his career. A lot of people say outlier, but I would say that in my time watching the Hawks the last two years, DeJounte's Got a lot better playing off the ball just as he's had to play next to uh, to Trey Young. So, like, I like DeJounte Murray, but I prefer Bruce Brown. And I'm going to break it down, but I want to start by uh, talking more about the realistic uh, nature of that type of deal. So, what is the percentage chance that Bruce Brown is a Laker in two weeks? We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'd say 20%, uh, so a a significant drop-off. I think there's a couple of things there. Uh, You know, one... The Lakers have had interest in Bruce Brown dating back to last summer. I, I reported on it uh, where there's a, about a 48-hour window before he ended up signing with Indiana. 
where the Lakers were confident he was going to sign with them for the non-taxpayer mid-level exception, uh, because at that point that had been uh, his reported market and he was weighing the, the Lakers, the Mavericks, the Knicks, the, there were several teams interested in uh, him at, at that, you know, 11, $12 million uh, price point. Uh, but all of a sudden, uh, you know, a few, few hours before uh, the free agency starts, Indiana decides to back up the Brinks truck and offer him this interesting two-year, uh, you know, $43, $44 million deal uh, with, with a team option on the second year. So really, it's a ballooned uh, one-year deal. And, you know, he, he ends up signing that. And, and now, you know, the, they're able to flip that ultimately for Pascal Siakam and, and really improve their roster. Uh, so the, with, with Bruce Brown, it's an interesting situation just because he does have a, a team option for 23 million next season. And on paper, probably not worth that amount of money. Um, but if you don't pick that up, um, you are risking him, you know, potentially leaving for, for nothing. And, uh, you know, then you just traded uh, an asset in in Delo or Rui uh, for Bruce Brown, and then you're kind of just losing that asset this you know upcoming off season. So I think for the Lakers, there's definitely interest in him. I, I you know he, I, in my opinion, he had his best series of the uh, championship run against the Lakers. So they saw up close and personal like what he could do, but just his versatility offensively, you know, function basically as uh, Denver's backup point guard for a lot of that run. Uh, but as we know, in Brooklyn and Detroit, he, he's played small ball center at times. So he can really play one through five in, in some regards. And and just imagine slotting him next to LeBron and AD. Uh, and you could go bigger with, with uh, Rui if, if they're able to keep him in that deal or, or Vando, or you could go smaller and, and Bruce can guard up. So like you just have so much versatility adding him into the rotation. They haven't really had a guy like this, uh, maybe since Kyle Kuzma off the top of my head. Uh, like that's maybe the, different players, of course, but like just, just that versatility to do several different types of things, both offensively and defensively from the wing spot. Um, you know, it, it, it's been a while for them. So I think Bruce is going to have a, a lot of league wide interest. Um, he is, I think, a, a lot of teams. Like, I, I look at Philly. I think he would be a great fit there. Uh, so, I, I think there could be more of a bidding war ultimately for Bruce Brown as a temporary win now move. And once you get into a bidding war, the Lakers don't have the assets really to outbid most teams. So, I, I think uh, whereas Dejounte, you know, Atlanta wants essentially two first round picks. That the Lakers so far have really been the only suitor interested in giving up that much. Uh, with, with JHS kind of counting uh, as a first round pick in, in that scenario. So I think with, with Bruce, it's just going to be so much league wide interest that uh, I don't know if the Lakers can outbid a Dallas or a Philadelphia or New York once it really comes down to offering your best. Well, offer. I think I think also it's a very non Laker thing to do. Like, I mean, to, like go for the big name or go for the guy who's the dirty work guy. Like, it's just it's a very not it's a very sure. non Laker thing yeah. to do. And that, that's why I'm with you. Like, I'm super skeptical about the realistic nature of a Bruce Brown to LA move. Why I like it is is really simple to me. It comes down to like some of my core basketball beliefs. Like right now, I think the Lakers are are being hurt by something that is a consistent issue that we see around the league, which is it doesn't really matter how much athleticism and size you have in the front court at like power forward and center if you don't have that in the back court to complement it. I mean, we literally see this with with Milwaukee. It's like, okay, here you go. You've got 
Giannis and Brooke Lopez, well, they literally can't protect the paint because they've got two of the worst point of attack defenders in the league and, and two, uh, you know, smaller players at the one and the two. Miami's, this is a big part of why they went after Terry Rozier. They have this real athleticism and force at the power forward spot and at the center spot, but they don't really have it at the guard spot. So they go after a guy like Terry Rozier. Like DeJounte Murray to me is fast and he is long, but what he's not is strong. He doesn't bring a real, a real force to the position. To me, Bruce Brown is one of those guys in the same way that Alex Crusoe did in the 2020 season. When you put him next to LeBron James and Anthony Davis at the same time in a playoff setting where you're getting engaged LeBron, there's a certain amount of like wave after wave of like unbelievable force and power at every position group. I think Bruce Brown at the two makes it so that Austin and Torian as your one and three is no longer an athleticism issue. I think I think there's a DeJounte Murray scenario where he comes in and he looks more or less like Atlanta Hawks DeJounte Murray and he gets you 20-something points a game and has some defensive moments, but he's kind of iffy. I think there's a question mark as to whether or not Darvin and LeBron and AD will be able to look at DeJounte and be like, look, dude, we need you to be one of the best perimeter defenders in the league. That's what we need from you. Whereas I think if they looked at Bruce Brown and asked of that, asked that of him, he'd be like, that's what I do in this league. That's what I've always done in this league. Of course, I will do that for you guys. You know what I mean? And I think there's a lot of upside there. So like when I, when I look sheerly from the perspective of the basketball then when you when you add the simple fact that in the playoffs, there's going to be a lot of LeBron James and Anthony Davis with the ball. So all of a sudden, that all of those dirty work things and that off-ball cutting and screening and stuff becomes so much more important than in the regular season. Like There's no doubt that there's going to be games. DeJounte turns, up, turns out to be a Laker. There's going to be games in March where he has 35 points and you win and it looks great. And that's amazing. But I do think there's something to be said about we all agree the Lakers aren't winning the title unless LeBron and AD get near the 2020 level. And and if they do that, it's more important to have a Bruce Brown than it is to have a DeJounte Murray. DeJounte would help a struggling LeBron and AD, but a struggling LeBron and AD aren't winning any titles to begin with. So that's kind of like my reasoning behind it. I am... I am just a big believer in really good two-way role players around LeBron James and Anthony Davis, and I always have been, which brings me to another two-way role player. What is the percentage chance that Dorian Finney-Smith is a Laker in two weeks? I'd say about 30%. Uh, He's someone that they've also liked. Uh, There's kind of a trend here of, of several of these guys that Lakers have had their eyes on for uh, quite a while, but DFS was someone that they were interested in dating back to last season. Uh, over the off season, again, that there was interest in you know trying to to find a way to trade for him. Uh, but I mean, I I don't know what what you thought of his performance against the the Lakers uh, in the Brooklyn win, but like I thought he was defending he did such LeBron a good job on LeBron, <laughs> as, such a good job, like it, as well as anyone has defended LeBron uh, to to my you know recollection this season, and uh, you know he didn't. He didn't have the the best shooting night, and the, there was people complaining about it on Twitter. Of this is the guy you want to trade for, but like, uh, if I could find a way, if I'm the Lakers and I can upgrade, uh, you know, Rui to DFS, and now all of a sudden you have that slotting of DFS is your starting, uh, you know, starting small forward. You still have the the Austin and and D'Lo backcourt, 
and and now you know Torian's coming off the bench. It, it just everyone's kind of aligned in in more natural roles, and I, I think he is the type of guy who uh, you know can make the the Austin D'Lo pairing work. And uh, you know v- Vando's been the other guy, of course, but w- with the shooting and I, it's been a little bit better recently. He's been m- more of an offensive weapon, but. That's the Lakers' hesitation. Is just you know, is he going to uh, you know, tank the offense to an extent where it's sort of negating having our four best players or our four best offensive players, uh, you know, out there together? Uh, whereas a guy like DFS, he's basically just going to do the dirty work. He, he's going to rebound. He, he's going to spot up. Uh, he can finish in transition, and he's going to defend uh, an opponent's best one through three or, or one through four players. So I think honestly, uh, among the options, like. He's again. He's not the sexiest name, but DFS to me might just be the the best fit with like the contract, uh, not having to give up as much potentially as, as certainly as as Dejounte, but even potentially as a Bruce Brown. Now there was a report that Brooklyn's looking for two first round picks for, for Dorian. <laughs> I think that's pretty high. Uh, but again, you hear similar things with Alex Caruso. Like so, the the, the price point for these three and D guards and wings is pretty high um but if there's a way for the lakers to say let, let's say they do the Dejounte trade but they loop in brooklyn as the third team like if you could get dorian and Dejounte, and now you are giving up d you're giving up Rui, you're giving up the pick uh maybe you have to you're, you're giving up jhs maybe you even have to throw in max but if there's a way to get both of those guys like i would love that starting lineup of DeJounte, Austin, uh, Dorian, LeBron, and AD with, you know, Christian, uh, Vando, uh, Torian, and, you know, Gabe, or, or maybe you can get a buyout point guard. And now all of a sudden, like that nine-man rotation makes a lot more sense to me. Uh, you, you have a lot more uh, you know, defense in the starting group. You, you have more athleticism, uh, better rebounding. And, and that that five-man, I mean, that, that's a five-man unit you can actually close games with as opposed to, I, I think, the current starting lineup. So uh, I think the, the Lakers have had interest in, in, in Dorian. Again, he's another guy who... I think there's going to be plenty. Like every team could use a Dorian Finney-Smith, in, in my opinion. Um, so I, I do think there's going to be a lot of, of interest in uh, again, you know, da- Dallas potentially uh, reuniting with him, but but Philly and uh, so the, the Lakers are kind of in the, the market for a lot of these guys that are, are going to have multiple suitors. But uh, to me, Dorian is a at a slightly lower price is probably more realistic than Bruce Brown. Yeah, th- with Dorian Finney-Smith in particular. I, I love. I should say this with all these deals. I like all these deals in the context of additional deals. Like I think that ideally, what would cause me to have a lot more optimism about the Lakers and their championship potential within this season would be to have a clear five. And one of the problems that kind of materializes with any of these deals is like you. It's like okay, let's say they just trade for Dorian Finney-Smith. You're like okay, maybe that makes the Austin D'Lo backcourt more tenable. I personally don't think it's tenable at all under any circumstances. Like I, I, I just think that I, I don't That's think fair. you can beat the best teams in the league starting Austin and D'Lo together. I think it's cute for the regular season. I think it, I think it is the right move for right now in the short term to get to the deadline. But, it, but the bottom line is, you, you got to have some sort of athleticism and power in your backcourt. It's just too vital of a, of a position, especially in the Western Conference when you're looking at the types of teams that that, that you have to get through to get out of the conference. <clears throat> So, like, you bring in Dorian Finney-Smith, Dorian Finney-Smith, you have issues in the backcourt. You bring in DeJounte Murray, and it's like, okay, I'm really... Austin DeJounte-Torian is a very thin group. Even though DeJounte changes the length and speed at that two-guard spot, it's still very thin, right? You go after Bruce Brown, 
you're like, okay, well, what about the offense? Now we still have these offensive issues uh, when you get D'Lo out of the picture. So there's still these question marks. So again, if you're in a situation where you're needing to redirect a guy like D'Angelo Russell in a deal that brings back a DeJounte Murray, I would be doing everything in my power to bring back some sort of upgrade of Torian Prince in some way, shape, or form as part of that deal. Maybe, I don't know, uh, Sadiq Bey is in a contract year. Maybe, maybe you can get Atlanta to part ways with him, too. Like, maybe you... Uh, like, there, there's got to be some sort of, like, smaller upgrade out there that kind of coincides with these two because at the end of the day, this Laker team is so convoluted in their rotation. You have to make, especially with Darvin Ham staying on board, you have to make really easy decisions for him. Like you got to make it so that Darvin has no choice, but to play the, the, you know, these specific groupings. And I think, I think by, by kind of simplifying that process at the one, two, three, you, you can accomplish that goal. So now that we've kind of hit the, uh, the three guys that they'd be targeting primarily, Let's talk about some Lakers. What is the percentage chance that D'Angelo Russell is a Laker in two weeks? I'd put it at around 40%. So more likely than not that he's traded. Uh, I mean, again, we, we've discussed this multiple times. Like, let's go back to the offseason. That D'Lo contract was structured to be traded. Uh, you know, he waived his de facto no trade clause, which, which was a new stipulation uh, in the new CBA. And the, the Lakers signed that with the thought of this is, you know, we, we can keep him, of course, and, and see how the season goes, see how he plays, see how things fit together. But with him having a player option on that second year, uh, it's not this albatross contract uh, where you're, you're committing, you know, a bunch of money to, to D'Lo and you can't move it. Uh, but the, the thing I've been trying to convey, because I, I know... D'Lo and Austin naturally get pitted against each other within the fan base. I see it on a nightly basis. I, I you know, anytime I, I tweet anything, it's always like, well, why not trade Austin or, or why trade D'Lo? And um, you know, one thing that I think people have to remember is the Lakers are kind of in a lose-lose proposition right now with D'Lo with his contract because in having a player option for next season, eighteen point seven million, either he's opting in because he doesn't have a market. And you know maybe the, the season hasn't gone as well. Uh, you know he, he regresses a little bit, or he has a, another rough postseason uh, series. And now all of a sudden he's looking at the market. There, there's just not really a clear suitor for him, so he opts in. And then in that case, it's not it's not the you know the worst case scenario, but necessarily. But it, it is like okay, now we have a guy who probably isn't worth the money that we're paying him, or like he, he opted in because there wasn't a market. This isn't a great asset for us, uh, or. Option two is D'Lo continues playing like this for the rest of the way. Lakers keep him. And now all of a sudden, there are several teams looking at him as, okay, you know, D'Lo has put it together. He's been consistent for a, a large stretch of a season. Maybe he had a good first round series or whatever. And now it's like, okay, well, if, if you're the Lakers, you either have to pay him for multiple years uh, and, and probably give him a you know solid raise or you risk losing him for nothing, and then you had this asset that you could have flipped at the trade deadline, but now you've lost him, and, and you, you have really no way of replacing him given the the other salary you've already committed. So to me, um, like the, sure, there is a, a middle ground where Elo just ends up staying and and he plays really well, and like, but that to me is a little bit of a fantasy land. It, it's either he's playing really well and he's opting out, and you're probably losing that asset or having to really commit to just. LeBron, AD, D'Lo, Austin, like that's our core. 
And as we're discussing, like, I don't know if you can really win without forcing them together. Or again, you're now, you know, having him opt in as a potentially, you know, negative uh, asset. So for the Lakers, again, this was a contract that was designed to be moved. It was supposed to be a tradable mid-sized contract that you could pair with another one, like say a Rui Hachimura or Gabe Vincent, or just one kind of separate for, again, a DeJounte, a Bruce Brown, uh, one of those guys making like 18 to 22 million. So to me, for people kind of wondering why D'Lo and not Austin, uh, Austin has two more years and, and it's a very team friendly, uh, you know, he's making about 25, 26 million dollars total over the next couple of years. And to, to compare that to potentially having to pay D'Lo 20 plus million next year, if he opts out, like, uh, you know, even if you think D'Lo is a better player, he's not worth double Austin Reeves. And and that's how the Lakers you know view it. And that's kind of the, the tricky spot they're in right now with D'Lo where, uh, again, it was designed to be traded, and, and that's ultimately why I think it's more likely than not that he is moved by the So deadline. I'm so glad you broke that down because I think that's a really, really important piece of information for Laker fans to understand. Like, It is not just a straight-up basketball conversation between Austin and D'Lo. There are real uh, cap, cap implications. I want to I give my two cents, but I want to ask this question first because I think it kind of relates to the two. So let's talk about Austin Reeves real quick. What is the percentage chance that Austin Reeves is a Laker in two weeks? I'd put it at about 95%, um, which is really high. Uh, and, you know, everything I've heard, like Jeannie Buss loves him. Um, and uh, again, as we talk about, with Garden, like, <laughs> if you have the, <laughs> if you have the approval of the owner, uh, that goes a long way. Uh, there's also a sense of, uh, he, he's the latest Laker discovery. The Lakers pride themselves on their scouting department and, and finding these hidden gems, late in the first round, second round, undrafted. Uh, so to, to have Austin, I mean, look, this guy was just named a, a finalist for uh, the Olympic team and obviously played for Team USA uh, over the summer. Like, And there's a reason why every conversation the Lakers have, you know, one of the first asks is we want Austin Reeves, like, in, you know, put Austin Reeves in this deal. They're not saying that about D'Lo. And I know, again, I think D'Lo has been the better player for the last couple of weeks. You could argue that in the aggregate of the entire season, D'Lo has had the better season. But just from a league-wide perception perspective, Austin has a much better uh, league-wide approval rating compared to D'Angelo Russell. And that's even taking out the contracts, all that stuff, just like how they are viewed as players. Austin is viewed as a winning player whereas D'Lo is much more polarizing. So uh, I, I think from that perspective of, of having a guy under contract for at least two more years, it's a homegrown talent who, you know, I mean, LeBron loves him. LeBron can't speak highly enough of, of Austin, um, well-regarded teammate, you know, lo beloved in the locker room, all those facts. And then, of course, he's a fan favorite and he's super popular. He's, he's just one of those guys that uh, he moves the needle. And, uh, you know, I, I don't, know how much you factor that in but he is someone who uh you know is a very popular player and i think for the lakers that matters to some extent so i think you know the, from my understanding it would have to be a clear-cut third all-star level guy like a lori markinen if utah's putting lori markinen on the table the lakers can get in that conversation sure they would consider throwing in austin reeves in that situation or if it's maybe one of these bigger deals where they're getting back two or three you know, high level starters or, or rotation guys. And Austin is kind of the difference in it. They would consider it in that scenario. But really, I, I just don't see that playing out that way. I think a lot of fans 
despite some fans starting to kind of sour on Austin, I think a lot of people would be upset if they traded him again, given the contract. Like to me, that's one of the best role-playing contracts in the league, considering the next couple of years of how much they're paying him. So I think Austin is going to be a Laker past the deadline. It's really D'Lo, Rui, Gabe. Those are the three names to watch. Yeah, I think I think the the like both Austin and D'Lo have had multiple phases where they've struggled this year. And I think a big part of that is their own redundancy. Like it's like, oh, Austin's hasn't been playing super well in the last couple of weeks. It's like, yeah, and guess who has been? D'Lo. You know, like that that this is kind of how this works in a lot of cases. Like you when you're a skill guard and there's another skill guard on the team, and so there, you know, the ball kind of has to be in your hands in a certain way for you to impact winning to a, a or I should say put up the numbers that you're accustomed to. Like, of course there's gonna be an ebb and flow there. To me, there are three reasons why D'Angelo Russell is the obvious guy to trade instead of Austin. One, you mentioned the contract, just from the standpoint of salary filler. Uh, Austin makes $12 million this year. So if you want to go get a really good player, you've got to give up Austin and more. Whereas D'Angelo Russell makes more than $17 million this year. It's just a little bit easier to match salaries with them. Secondly, the contract is just better for the future of the Lakers. It's a like you mentioned, it's a, a discounted deal for a high quality role player in this league. So it, to be honest, like it, it just makes more sense to use D'Lo because you might end up using Austin in a trade down the line uh, to go get a better player. Or like you might have a point three years from now where you're really glad that Austin makes what he makes as you're building a certain type of roster around him and Anthony Davis, right? And then the last piece, it's really this simple to me. Uh, every game during the playoffs last year, you wanted Austin on the floor for any sort of important moment. Uh, with D'Lo, it depended on the night. Some nights you were like, oh man, like he saved our ass against Memphis in game four. You know, so I'm not, you know, uh, there were a couple Warriors games in there too where he looked really good. But then there were these others where you're like, oh, D'Lo doesn't have it tonight. You got to get him off the floor. He's downright destructive to us right now. That was what it was like. And so, like, Austin, I would just call, I call it like matchup. Uh, like uh, resiliency. Like Austin is just capable of being on the floor in those five-man groupings against more different types of playoff opponents. And so when you combine those three things, it makes it pretty, uh, pretty, pretty simple uh, and straightforward from that from that standpoint. And you're right. Like Lakers fans have just kind of pitted the two of them against each other. And it's, it's, they're both really good basketball players who do very different things. I know they're both skill guards, but even within that context, they're very different. Right. Like, I mean, even just Delo's way, way better off the ball, I think, or on the ball. I mean, uh, I think Austin is a better connector off of LeBron and AD than D'Angelo Russell is. So like, there's all these like different kind of, uh, uh, uh elements between the two of them and they're kind of stepping on each other's toes a bit and you need upgrades at the two and three. D'Angelo Russell is just kind of like collateral damage there in a lot of ways. And like, I, I almost feel bad for D'Lo because he has been such a good leader this year and he has had such, you know, uh, impactful stretches. And like, there's just there. I said before the season uh, with you on this show that I thought D'Angelo Russell getting traded was the safest bet in the NBA this year. And I'm actually surprised that it's only 60% at this point, but I think you and I would agree like six games since joining the starting lineup, 27 and seven on 50, 50, 90, like the dude, the dude's hooping right now, and I think that that's kind of added a little bit of a question mark to it. But I think when the cooler heads prevail, everyone's going to remember that's the best option. All right, we're going to go rapid fire through these last two because we're going a little long today. Uh, what is the percentage chance that Rui Hachimura is a Laker in two weeks? 
I'd say 65%. Uh, so more likely than not. Um, I do think the Lakers are going to look into moving Rui uh, in a couple of names we just mentioned, Bruce Brown Jr., Dorian Finney-Smith. Um, I think in, in those types of trades, they would prefer to put Rui as the centerpiece rather than D'Lo. And, you know, again, uh, keeping D'Lo and, and putting him next to DFS or even putting him next to Bruce Brown, like uh, I think th they would view those guys as, as plugging some of the wing holes and and maybe being a, a cleaner fit uh, with that backcourt uh, in comparison with Rui, who, um, you know, despite, I think, playing much better as the season has gone on, has still kind of had his his minutes capped. He's sort of been in just this 18 to 22 minute a night bench roll, despite however well he's playing. And I think you were mentioning making things easier for Darwin. I think if there is a way, like, you know, we, we can uh, you know, uh, we, we talk about how great Rui is as an asset or, or, or this or that, whatever we like about his game. But like if Darwin and the coaching staff just isn't viewing him in the same way uh, and you can go out and turn him into a player that they will view in that light, that's where I think that, you know, the Lakers are considering some of those things. Um, so with Rui, I think now the flip side is Rui is a, a polarizing player. He's been a polarizing player since Washington. There are a lot of people who scoffed at the Lakers paying him uh, the, the contract that they did this offseason. I think that's um, crazy. So I think it, it, <laughs> it, it yeah, I mean, I, I obviously am I'm, I'm more on the Lakers side with this, but there are uh, Rui to me is more of an eye of the beholder asset of there are people who will look at the playoff run and and um, some of the, the highs with Rui. And then there are people who will look at the Washington stint. And like, I mean, if you look at his regular season production before breaking out in game one against Memphis, he was pretty inconsistent. And, and part of that was his role. And part of that was the way the Lakers used him. But part of that has just been like Ru Rui's been somewhat inconsistent. He has dealt with a lot of injuries in his, his short career. He's dealt with multiple injuries this season. Uh, so I, I think Rui is a little bit more of a, a you know, it's more of a negative asset than D'Lo is. He does have two more years on his deal. So that's another thing. Whereas D'Lo could be technically an expiring if he opts out. Uh, Rui, you're, you're committing not just this season, but two more years. So I, I think, I don't think it's a bad contract personally, but I, I do think around the league, there are people who view it that way. And I think Rui trading that contract's a little bit harder than getting off of, say, D'Lo, who just has a player See, off. See, I'm so surprised by that um, perception around the league, just because like the thing, the thing with Rui that's so simple to me is like, he's a big, strong athlete that can actually impact games or impose his physicality on a playoff game. Like to me that, 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 that is, if that's not worth in the teens of millions in the NBA, I don't really know what is. Um, I'm, I'm genuinely surprised by that. There's offensive inconsistency with him, but a huge part of that is his role and some of the way that that has fluctuated to me. Rui Hachimura is a guy that I think like uh, the dead giveaway for this, by the way, is if the Lakers traded Rui, half the fan base would be pissed off about it. That That's how you know Rui's really good. And to me, like he's another redundancy. He plays the same position as LeBron. That's why he doesn't get a lot of minutes. Darvin clearly views him as a guy that he can't play on the, at the three next to LeBron and AD, especially in specific matchups. So again, like you said, why would you pay that much money for a guy that you're only going to pay 20-something minutes a night and sit on the bench for every closing group, right? And I do think there are teams out there that would be like, oh, like he's a good help defender and rebounder. 
who has shown that he can knock down spot up threes and attack mismatches in the post. Like that's a useful archetype, especially if you can make sure he's the fifth best player in your lineup. And there are going to be teams out there to like, I, you don't think Sacramento could use a guy like Rui Hachimura. You don't think a team like well Indiana before the Siakam trade, a team like Oklahoma city could use a guy like Rui Hachimura when they don't have a real four man. Like there are a lot that he plays a very important archetype. I think he has real value. Um, and I like him, I like to me, if you can turn D'Lo and Rui, which is two redundancies that you want to bench at the end of games into two guys that are obvious guys that you'd play at the end of games, why not? And so from there, like, I don't even understand why it's not on the table that the Lakers don't do a D'Lo centered package towards Atlanta for DeJounte Murray and then turn around and do a Rui Hachimura centered package to Brooklyn, Brooklyn, by the way, another team that does not have a power forward. They just don't have one. So like, like you don't think that 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 guy couldn't uh, uh, look good next to Nick Claxton in a help side role as a guy that can shoot and attack mismatches next to their thin wings? Like to me, to me, they're uh, I, I'm genuinely surprised by that. But I, I do think uh, I do think that they have to do their due diligence to at least look to see if you can turn him into a player that fits in the starting lineup. All right, last guy before we get out of here. What is the percentage chance that Gabe Vincent is a Laker in two weeks? I would say about seventy percent. Um, you know, he, he's, I mean, he, he's the most negative of these three, uh, in, in terms of, of league-wide perception right now, just because he's coming off a knee surgery. Uh, we, we saw not too long ago, what happened with Kendrick Nunn and, uh, that bone bruise turned into a, a season ending injury. And with a guy coming like already a, a guy who's you know, more of a bench player, um, you know, probably a seventh, eighth man, uh, ideally in, in like a contending, uh, you know, pecking order. Uh, but that guy coming off a knee injury, uh, and you have two more years on his deal for about 22 million uh, or so over the next couple of years. Uh, you know, Gabe is someone that uh, you know, I think the Lakers would have to attach an asset to, be it a, either a younger player or you know, second round pick or two, um, uh, or or whatnot. So I think more likely I see Gabe as like if they are expanding a deal and they have to match salary and there's a way to add him in. And you know, add in again, uh, whether it's a younger player or or a, a second round pick, something like that. That's where I could see Gabe getting moved. Um, I mean, you, you could argue that w- with that uh, eleven million dollars salary or so, that you could flip him for um, you know, could you go get Tyus Jones? And and you you would have to you know attach assets to make that enticing for for Washington. But like, is that enough for uh, a Tyus Jones or someone in that kind of 12 to $15 million range. Um, and again, maybe you add in Max or JHS to, to kind of make the salary work and uh, entice them. Say, you know, here's a, a young player that can be part of your future core. But uh, Gabe right now, the Lakers are looking into moving Gabe. Um, you know, I think that's that's kind of the most natural upgrade of just a player who's injured and, and not contributing right now. And if you can add a rotation player, like that, that's a home run. Um, so I, they're looking into it. It's just right now, uh, no one's really... Um, you know, bending over to to you know trade for a a, a player who's injured and, and has two more years left on his deal with, with kind of an uncertainty of like what what are the long term ramifications of this this knee injury that has now be, clearly become serious enough to keep him out for a couple months. He comes back, it immediately uh, isn't feeling right, and then he has to have surgery. Yeah, I I the reason why I brought it up is he's got a good mid sized salary to throw into trades. And the reason why the the main reason why I brought it up is like I actually view it as pretty low as well, simply from the standpoint as of um 
in the event that you trade D'Angelo Russell, you could probably still use a skill guard off the bench. And I do think there's, I, I, w- I would imagine he can still come back in a month or so. Like, I, I don't think he's done for the season, right? So, like, from that standpoint, it's kind of like a yeah. shoe in. It, it's almost like you're trading for Gabe Vincent after the deadline, if that makes sense. Um, but then again, like, that's where I look at it. If, if you could somehow package him with a, you know, a couple of second round picks and get Tyus Jones. It's like, okay, now you're, you're upgrading that backup skill guard position. And Tyus Jones is a guy, unlike D'Angelo Russell, who's super comfortable coming off the bench and running bench units and just kind of being in that specific role. Uh, but I thought it was worth asking given his contract information. All right, Jovan, I thought you did an incredible job today breaking down for us, not just the types of targets the Lakers are going after, but also just the reasoning behind it. And I think that'll help Laker fans understand uh, a lot about, you know, how this process works. Uh, is there any uh, thing that you can shout out in terms of uh, articles that you've been working on and other stuff with The Athletic right now? Yeah, um, I have a mailbag coming out Friday morning. Um, so by the time you're listening and, and watching this, uh, you know, it should be out. Uh, so I'll be diving more into some of these these trade questions and, and different things to, to watch for ahead of the deadline. So uh, be on the lookout for that on The Athletic and Be sure to follow me on all social platforms. All right. Thanks, as always, for supporting the show, everyone. We'll be back tomorrow with some game breakdowns. And then we also have an instant reaction video on Saturday night for Lakers Warriors. I will see you guys tomorrow. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.